Hey, are you into werewolves, mad scientists, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. What did uh, I write as my yearbook quote, Gavin? I wrote, I can't wait to graduate so I can get out of this crappy little town and live my life. Asses. The following podcast contains... Your use of language has altered since our arrival. It is currently laced with, shall I say, more colorful metaphors. Double dumbass on you, and so forth. You mean the profanity? Yes. That's simply the way they talk here. Nobody pays any attention to you unless you swear every other word. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you expected us to believe you just happened to keep your definitely not rape calendars, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, September 29th, 2018, I Wonder Who the Real Men Are edition of the show, where we talk about all the breaths we've known before. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Are You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Evernear Grain Alcohol. We put the punch in the punch. Are you a ritzy DC prep school student with big plans for the weekend? Make sure those plans include Evernear. Our 110 proof grain alcohol is a brain eraser and a panty dropper. Just slip a bottle into the bowl of punch and watch the party get started. Almost tasteless and packing a lead fist in a velvet glove, Evernear is sure to get everyone in a party mood and have the girls blacked out by 10 p.m. Why wait for her to get liquor up window with beer when two cups of Evernear laced lace jungle juice will do the job quicker and easier with plausible deniability come morning? Don't let your party get started without the bottle of football team's favorite, Evernear Pure Grain Alcohol. Evernear Grain Alcohol is not responsible for overconsumption of our product and is strictly not liable for damage when used for the purpose of sexually assaulting women. What they're teaching in private school isn't private anymore. Uh-huh. Especially at the Cherryvale Academy for Girls. Uh-huh. Are you feeling romantic now, my darling? Where there's no limit. Uh-huh. Hi. Hi! Sugar! On what you can learn. What? Where a guy like Bubba Beauregard at a girls' school like this has the odds stacked against him. Nine to one against him even copping a look. Fifteen to one against him ever getting a date. Twenty-two to one against you scoring in any way, shape, or form. It takes Bubba Beauregard, the animal of the eighties, to make a private school go public. Private school. I didn't care much for high school. It wasn't that I was terribly unpopular. I mean, I wasn't popular by any stretch of the imagination, but I wasn't a social pariah. I had some friends, girls who kind of liked me, who I kind of liked. I went to parties, got suspended, sold a little weed, you know, the usual high school stuff from Mountain Home, Idaho. The reason I never cared much for high school is I had a life after I graduated. Oh, of course, as one does. I got my diploma. Walked off the stage and into the future and never looked back. I don't go to reunions. I'm on touch. I'm in touch with only one person from my high school and social media. And generally, I consider the entire four years as just a thing I had to do so I could get on with the rest of my life. This seems to me a pretty normal way to be. I mean, I guess there was some life shaping experiences during my four years in high school. 
I got the shit kicked out of me for being a white kid while I lived on Guam. That was actually incredibly formative as it taught me that being brutalized for being a different skin color was not, uh... Emotional, not fun, a lot of fuss. Yeah, so, you know, I didn't think I should do that to other people. Every white kid should have that. And of course, I had first loves, first drinks of alcohol, first ritual sacrifice of a goat to the Dark Lord Satan. Wait, 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 what? Oh, yeah. That satanic panic thing in the 80s? That wasn't a panic. That was very real. What I'm saying is high school isn't something I look back on with fondness. Or at all, really. Anything I did in high school has exactly zero relevance on my adult life. Nothing that went on my permanent record has impacted me since 1987. This is probably because my fuck-ups were on the whole pretty small. Kid stuff. And, this is important, I never tried to rape anyone in high school. Good idea. Good call. Or after, I should really think I should make that clear, or, or after high school. I haven't tried to rape anyone, period. And I'm going to be honest, I've had a hard time processing this week. To which every single woman who's ever experienced anything remotely resembling the things that we've been talking about this week will say, Yeah, me too, asshole! I cannot begin to comprehend the level of distress and pain the events of these past few weeks and did the past few years are causing women in general. The cavalier disregard of sexual assault we're coming to grips with in our culture is a picking a raw open wound for survivors and for some jackass with a low-rated podcast to come along and do jokes in the middle of it is the very definition of not helping. But the issue going on is the giant pile of elephant shit in our collective living rooms. And I'm gonna leave the larger questions about that issue to people far better off, better suited than me to discuss, and only reference the matter within the context of something I can speak on with authority. The time which the things occurred and why this Republican homunculus could sit there and lie to you with an indignant expression programmed onto a soulless face because he never left the privileged little shitbag that he was 35 years ago when he was in high school in the 80s. Hopefully, this will allow me to insult this anthropomorphic Yale diploma with, in many satisfying ways without dragging my listeners through the slime and filth that made this topic relevant in the first place. To understand people like, I don't know, let me just pick a name at random, Brett. We'll call him Brett because the guy we're talking about very much is a Brett. And a Brett is the sort of name a certain class of people named their children in the late 60s and early 70s. And that class of people could be best described as bitch motherfucking over fucking assholes. They were the kind of people who unironically spent evening at the club. They golfed. They thought William F. Buckley was spot on. And the only African-American people they ever saw was the Negro gentleman who does the lawn. They had houses on the Cape, at least one friend named Muffy, and hosted regular dinner parties for the cognoscenti of whatever town they were living in. We all grew up knowing a Brett, even if his name was Chaz or Sterling or Bradshaw. They were all known by most of us as The kid's a douchebag. Alone bread is bad because he's utterly protected from consequence or correction for anything he might do, but a Brett is never alone because Bretts of a feather flock together, like a swarm of locusts over a wheat field. They swoop in and consume everything in their path, and when they're gone, anything left behind is ruined for years to come, and their favorite food is anyone below them socially and economically, and everyone is below them as far as they're concerned. The only thing one could do when facing a swarm of Bretts was hide. Don't let them see you. Try to become invisible beneath their notice and hope they found someone else to light on. 
There were plenty of female brats. I don't know. We'll call them Brenda's. They were in their way equally pernicious and destructive, but their brand of venom was practiced largely on other women as most non-brats were literally beneath their contempt. One did not need to become invisible to Brenda's because you already were. If you did somehow merit their notice, they didn't see you unless in some way you brought yourself to their attention. And even then, the best you might get for them is... Who are you? Before a brat swooped in and destroyed you for the temerity to speak to someone so far above your social station. And if all this sounds like it comes straight from the plot of a B-movie in the 80s, well, it was there because it was true. I attended exactly one big high school rager with kegs of beer, jungle juice, and all the accoutrements one might expect from a John Hughes, John Hughes movie. It was con- I was conveniently staying at a friend that night, and we attended a party at someone's, I can't remember who it was, but it was he was on the football team, his parents were well-to-do in the small town where I lived, and the parties were frequent enough that even lower-status kids could attend if we were fairly careful about it. You just have to act like you belong, right? Can you imagine nearly a hundred kids, six or eight kegs of beer, the blasting music, people breaking shit, running, screaming around the house happening today? Hell no! But in the 80s, yeah, exactly. You can imagine it because you've seen it on the movies all the fucking time. And we could do this because our parents weren't there. I'm not sure where they were or what they were doing that was so important, but it sure as fuck wasn't watching us. What people don't understand today is how much the 80s was a strange moment in America. We'd come off the long, tumultuous 60s, the malaise of the 70s, and now we were in this whole new decade. Technology was just starting to be a thing. Computers, Walkman, VCRs were all this symbol of how much things were changing, but underneath all of that, the social dynamics were that we were struggling under their own weight, and nowhere was is more apparent than in high school and college. My generation, Generation X, was basically raising ourselves. Even me, the child of two married parents who loved me and made sure I wanted for nothing, left me largely to my own devices for most of my youth. It wasn't that they didn't give me rules. It was just that they were rarely there to enforce the rules. I had a lot of free time out from under their observation and control, and that meant I had a lot of free time to do shit. Sounds like trouble with the kids. I guess it depends on how you see it. I mean, Generation X is largely considered self-sufficient, independent, and capable of taking care of ourselves. And, you know, so we didn't have our parents around. But at the flip side... That left an opening for some pretty nasty shit to go down because our parents weren't around. And for Brett's, all that free time was compounded by money, privilege, and a social structure designed to give him carte blanche to do whatever the fuck he wanted. Now, Brett was captain of the football team or lacrosse or whatever silly ball-related activity he happened to play. And I say play because Brett doesn't do it for love of the game or because he needs a scholarship. Brett doesn't have to worry about paying for school or getting into school because daddy's a donor, and he certainly doesn't need to work for it. It's just going to happen because that's what happens for Brett's. Oh, smooth as silk. Everything's great. So, therefore, Brett is able to fill up his free time with parties and fun all year round, but it's summers, it's summers that are Brett's real playground as he and all the other Bretts bounce back and forth between home and the beach or the lake house or the cabin or whatever distant and secluded place their family has to get away from it all and for Brett to rape people at. 
It was impossible for bad things to happen to Brett because Brett existed only to do bad things to others. He bullied, he abused, he belittled those beneath him, and he backed up his boys when they did it. Now, Brett dated, he dated Brenda's, but Brett fucked anyone he could, whether or not they wanted to be fucked or not. Oh, don't mistake me, Brett was too cultured to rape someone. Rape was for Negroes and poors. Brett seduced, and seduction for Brett was a bottle of grain alcohol and a red Solo cup. Yeah, Kool-Aid and Everclear. Mm-hmm. Brett seduced the unbrendas, and he considered a game for him and his boys keeping score to see how many girls they could seduce in a summer. He did this not because he couldn't fuck Brenda, as the he most certainly did. He did it because it was a mark of his power over others to do so, including his boys, because it made him more of a man, and mostly he did it simply because he could. And, of course, because it was the 80s, it was just considered good, clean fun. Anywhere. I can get a piece of ass anytime I want. Shit, I got Carolyn in the bedroom right now, passed out cold. I could violate her ten different ways if I wanted to. What are you waiting for? I don't know. She's beautiful and she's built and all that. I'm just not interested anymore. Constance Grady wrote in a Vox article titled Rape Culture of the 1980s Explained by 16 Candles, which admittedly is not the best headline. The dominant cultural narrative at the time of Brett Kavanaugh's high school experience was the one offered by 16 Candles. And it taught any girl who went to a party and got assaulted by an acquaintance that whatever happened to her was surely her fault. That it proved she was the wrong kind of girl. That it was funny that she had nothing whatsoever to complain about, and it absolutely wasn't rape, unquote. Oh, Dave, come on, you're talking about a movie, lighten up. So let me tell you about a true story as recounted by J.D. Wolverton in Daily Cause Communities back in November of 2014, where she related stories about sexual harassment and violence in the 1980s. Quote, my sister had a party at her home one weekend. I went over the next day to help clean up. My sister had her arm around her roommate who was sobbing. They had never gone to sleep. The roommate had become drunk the night before and my sister put her in a bed and then returned to the party. One of the men at the party went into her room and raped her. She came to during the episode and freaked out, shrieking for the guy to get off of her and get out. Many of the party guests had left already. The few remaining heard the ruckus and didn't stick around. The neighbor down the street was a police officer. He came around and said, quote, what did you expect? You had a party. You got drunk and fell asleep. You were unprotected. And how was the guy to know you didn't want to have sex, unquote? In the 1980s, the inability to say no was interpreted as a yes. The roommate moved out of town a few months later, unquote. We didn't talk about sexual assault or date rape. I never even heard the word date rape until at least the early 90s. But I sure as fuck knew it happened, even though we didn't have that name for it. We had other names for lots of things that today we would totally call rape. We had names like running a train. You know about running a train? That's when a girl got drunk at a Brett party, and then she was fucked by several Bretts at the party while she was passed out. I mean, the Bretts would line up down the hall like they were waiting for the bathroom, only to go in and treat an unconscious young girl like she was a toilet. 
And we had names for the girls who had the misfortune to be the train. They were called sluts by the Bretts and the Brindas because they fucked all those guys and only a slut would do something like that. I mean, it was conveniently ignored that a Brett had plied her with liquor to get her drunk and then he and a bunch of Bretts had took turn gang raping her. And now I wonder, how about all those girls I knew in school who we called sluts? Whether or not they were given that name by the rumor mill as part of a conspiracy to keep her silent about what happened. If they could brand her a slut, who would believe that she didn't want to be fucked while completely incoherent by eight or nine Bretts and left for some of her friends to drag out of the party and take her home because no one wanted some drunk slut sleeping in one of their bedrooms. They needed to go to bed themselves. Oh, yeah, we had a name for things back in the 80s. So here we've got this entire generation of rich, entitled, unparented, and unrestrained Bretts all of whom graduated from their fancy prep schools, went off to Ivy League universities, where they continued their Brett behavior for at least another four years, and often well into law school, so they could finally grow up and assume their rightful place in society in the Republican power structure of Washington, D.C. A disgusting, awful, dirty cesspool of despair, and fuck all of it. You cannot swing a nine iron in D.C. without hitting at least a dozen Bretts. I know. I know I'm being totally unfair because not all Bretts went to Washington, D.C. to become lobbyists and politicians. If you were a Brett from, say, Connecticut, you went to Wall Street. As I typed this script, I was at work within 100 feet of any number of Bretts. Now, there were less Bretts where I worked than some places in Wall Street, but they were there. And finance Bretts are the sort of dudes who, you know did the 2008 financial collapse and are busy, busy, busy engineering the next collapse as we speak, dear listener. Keep an eye out for Brett's next big show coming soon to a federal bailout near you because Brett's will always take care of Brett's. Oh, and Brett's early adulthood was a little different than college, perhaps more circumspect since he didn't have the full protective layer of daddy's influence and power to shield him and whatever GOP senator he worked for wasn't going to go down for a junior member of his staff, no matter who their daddy might be so the kind of shenanigans that went down at the beach house in the old days didn't go but you bet they harassed the shit out of women any women that came near them in those halcyon days in the, in the 90s on the hill those were great days for a while but nothing lasts forever and power waits for no man and if they wanted power and they did they needed to chill the fuck out and act like dear old dad coaching Little League, playing ball at the gym, developing a reputation as a sterling man of character, a stalwart of the community, and the kind of guy who would never raise his voice in anger to anyone and everyone would trust with their kids. Brett becomes a dad and begets the next generation of Bretts. You know, the Brocks. There are new developments in the case of that Stanford University swimmer, Brock Turner, who was found guilty of sexually assaulting an unconscious woman back in 2015. Turner's attorneys now argue the decision should be overturned in part because Turner kept his clothes on. ABC's Kana Whitworth is in Los Angeles with the story. Good morning, Kana. So, you know, maybe the world hasn't really changed that much since the 80s. 
but it's becoming increasingly clear it is changing, and all the money and power behind the Bretts can't put their Humpty house back together again. Bill Cosby is in jail for rape. Bill Cosby was never a Brett. Well, maybe he was a Brock Brett, but still. Harvey Weinstein was definitely a Brett, and he's about to be charged with rape. Abusers and harassers no longer have full impunity to hide their old in their to hide in their old boys' networks of colleagues, comrades, and cronies to threaten, intimidate, cajole, or compensate women into silence. All the Brett's horses and all the Brett's men. Can't keep women silent, motherfuckers. Your time is at an end. Kind of. Because as I wrote this script on Thursday of this week, I was watching Dr. Blasey Ford testify before a kangaroo Congress, and it was clear the Republicans can and probably will confirm Judge Kavanaugh, the bad boy of Judge of Georgetown Prep, to a lifetime appointment on the highest court in the land because they want to. Because they can. Because our country is fundamentally broken, just like an egg off a wall. Because the humptiest of humps, the pussy grabber in chief, has his orange fingers on the reins and what he wants, he gets. Or maybe not. I honestly don't know how this is going to turn out. The world has always had its Bretts. Back in the days when Homo sapiens were winding their way out of the Rift Valley, there were Bretts making homo jokes and pulling Oog's loincloth up to give a Neando wedgie. As we began farming, Bretts were the guys whose dad had the biggest field and were able to goof off while everyone else worked. Bretts basically ruled ancient Rome, and Bretts were the feudal lords roaming around Europe lopping the heads off serfs. Bretts settled the southern United States and imported African slaves to work their lands, and Bretts were the children of robber barons who worked for daddy's company and never actually had to come into the office. Bretts profited off the Great Depression and owned all the factories that made the tanks and planes for World War II. Bretts got into America, into Vietnam, JFK, definitely a Brett. And Bretts have been in Washington since the days when it was an actually a fucking swamp. Modern day Bretts are capitalism made manifest in all its messy, disgusting glory. Bretts are the toxic sludge leaching out, leaching out of the pipes that run beneath America. A waste product of money, power, and endless privilege. If you took all the things that made white Americans just so fucking annoyingly white, Put them in a juicero and squeezed, a Brett would pop out of the final product. Bretts are the ultimate renewable resource. We will never run out of them. America is powered by Bretts. So maybe, maybe, maybe we can choose a different fucking Brett for the Supreme Court because the Brett we have now is just a piece of shit, even by Brett standards. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. That is it for our show this week. I feel like this entire country is space ball one and I am surrounded by assholes and we are going plaid straight into a black hole. And if we're depending on Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski or Jeff Flake to be our lone star and barf, we are in for a big disappointment. Speaking of big disappointments, you can rate and review this disappointing show wherever you find your podcast. It helps new listeners to find this show so they will be uh, disappointed. All of my lackluster tweets can be found on the Twitter machine at the hell underscore podcast and sometimes at the show name on Facebook. 
All the shows are on SoundCloud at the show name and, of course, www.whatthehellpodcast.com. For me, Dave, hung out with the stoners on Smoker's Corner Bledsoe, producer AV Club Gavin, and all the fictional JV Chess Club members on this show, we want to say, time to change plans. Time to get scared. Don't know how to treat a lady. Don't know how to be a man. We'll see you all next week. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow.